How many of y'all have at various times in your life sought for purpose? Anybody in here? Ever look for purpose? It's sort of a part of a human nature for us to find purpose. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to invite our kids to come up now. Children, I've got something special for you today, so come on down. Come on up here. All right, welcome. Hey, Danielle. Come on up here. You're going to drink your coffee. Just don't spill it. Is that everybody? Oh, there's a couple more. All right. Have you all ever seen a bag like this before? No? Who's, who's seen this before? Who's seen a bag like What is this for? Lobstering. That's right. Do you know what this week is? It's mini season this week. Wednesday and Thursday are mini lobster season. Are any y'all going to try and go and catch any lobster this week? Any y'all out there going to catch any lobster? We have any tourists here who came down just for lobster? Y'all came? I hope that you find some. Just don't go to my holes, okay? <laughs> just stay out of my holes and we'll, be, we'll get along great. It's great to have you guys here today. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, as long as you don't take my lobster. Um, so... There's lots of things we use to catch lobster, right? So if you had this, what would you use this for? What do you think, Ari? Okay, you would use this for, for poking lobster, but how else would you use it? Like, if you just had this today, what would you use it for? Poke your brother? <laughs> if you were to go lobster hunting and you only had this, how good do you think you would do? Not really good. How do you, would you be able to see underwater without a mask and snore? No? Okay, so this is important, but we can't just catch lobster just with that. What about this thing? What's this? It's a net. We catch butterflies with this net? No. Can we catch our little brothers and sisters with this net? No, maybe, if, if you're fast enough. We use this net, and what goes in here? Lobster. You know, when you're trying to catch lobster... There's another thing that's important, and it's these guys right here. What are these? Have you ever tried to catch a lobster without gloves before? Any of y'all out there? I know some conks out there that catch lobster barehanded. Anybody? Sydney? Oh, Matt. Matt does? Tough as nails. Matt goes out without these things, but when you go lobstering, you need to have these gloves on, right? Why do you have to have these gloves on? Anybody know? So you don't get pinched. What do they flap really fast? Their tail, and that thing, if that hits your hand without gloves on, it hurts. So we got to have the gloves on. But if all you had were these gloves, would you be able to catch any lobster? No, you're probably not fast enough, and you wouldn't see them. So what we need, like these are brand new, so they're all sticking together. What you need is you need everything in the lobster kit for every part of the kit to fulfill the purpose of catching lobster, right? We need the gloves. We need the net. We need the stick, right? Let's assume that we have our snorkel and our mask and everything on, right? But we need, we need these three things to catch our lobster, right? Right? So if we want to fulfill the purpose of catching lobster, we need all the tools to do it. Did you know that God has a purpose for your life? Did you know that? Did you know that God designed you specifically? The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb, tell, in fact, right now, turn around, say, thank you, mom, for having you. Just say, thank you. We should do that more often. 
God knit you together in your mother's womb, and he has a very unique, special, glorious, amazing purpose for your life. Did you know that? And did you know that he's given you tools to fulfill that purpose? He's given you intelligence. He's given you passions or things that you're excited about, just like this lobster kit is a set of tools. God's given you tools. But you know what? We need Jesus to help us understand how to use the tools that God gave us. We need Jesus to fulfill the purpose that God created us to achieve. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. And the word of the day is purpose. Purpose. The word of the day is purpose. So you all go back to your seats now, and you can tell your mom and dad to help you count how many times you hear the word purpose. And so, church, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles today with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, today we're going to talk about how God renews and restores our purpose. And do you know, and maybe this morning, you need me just to say this directly to you. I don't know what you've done with your life in the past. I don't know what you were doing one year ago, one month ago, one week ago, or even one hour ago. I'm here to tell you today, by declaration from the Word of God, that He has an amazing and wonderful purpose for your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, purpose is important to people. Did you know that? People, whether they're Christians or not, have a desire in their heart to know why we're here, to know what we're supposed to be doing on this planet. One research firm uh, asked 1,000 Americans, what is your purpose in life? The number one most answered, um, most, uh, the number one answer that everyone gave was to have good family relationships, and family's important to us, isn't it? Number two, we're to carry out the principles of my faith. And then finally, number three, to have good friends. Well, the challenge in this life is that we all have a deeply rooted desire to search for purpose. And the good news that I have for you today is you can know your purpose, but you're only going to find that purpose through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you came today looking for purpose, if in your life right now you're searching after some kind of purpose, the good news is today you're going to get that from the Word of God. Has Jesus restored God's purpose for your life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because that is the very first step in understanding why you're here. Second, if Jesus has already restored your relationship with God and you know that you find your purpose in him, are you walking with Jesus? Are you living in accordance with his word? Are you following him so that he can use you in the mighty ways that God designed you to be used? Or do you need to recommit yourself to that glorious purpose that God designed for you to have? The first step in this process of, of having the purpose that God designed us to have is to be made into a new person. And so what we're doing over these, these, this last week, this week, and next week is we're looking into what the Word of God says in Acts chapter 9 in the description of the um, radical transformation and the salvation in the life of a man named Saul, whom most of you would recognize also as Paul. 
because his name was changed later in his ministry. So in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, Saul has already met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's gone to Damascus as a blind man, and he's had his sight restored. He's received Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit and as a believer by baptism, by immersion. And now he's gathered with the disciples in Damascus, and he's prepared to fulfill his purpose as a follower of Jesus. Verse 19 says, And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who is causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? So the people are astounded by, by Saul. Saul was so notorious and passionate about his calling to obliterate Christianity from the face of Palestine that people around Jerusalem knew who he was. And when he went to Damascus, the people in Damascus, especially the believers, knew who he was and what he came to do. That's why Ananias was so freaked out when Jesus said, hey, get up and go to Straight Street. And I want, you to, I want you to pray over this man named Saul. I'm going to use him in the ministry. And I remember, he's like, awesome, awesome. Wait, wait, who? You want me to pray for who? Saul. Okay, Jesus, you know who Saul is, right? You want me to still pray for him? And Jesus said, yeah, so he did. Saul's radically converted. He's a believer now. He's spending time with the believers, the disciples in Damascus. Do you think anybody in the believers in the church of Damascus sat with Saul at the potluck? Just a question. I don't know if I would have. I'm going to keep my distance for a while, right? See if he's legit. How do we know that Saul was legit? How do we know that he was a real believer at this time? Well, we see him doing two things. First, it says he immediately begins telling people about Jesus, and specifically that he is the Son of God. So Saul has a legitimate conversion to Christ because he's sharing a biblical testimony about who Jesus is, what Jesus did in his life, and how others can follow Jesus the way he has. So we see Saul immediately sharing the gospel. Second, we see fruit from his conversion to Christ. His behavior, his lifestyle changed. Literally, just a, a, a few weeks ago, what was Saul doing? He was persecuting Christians. He had overseen the stoning of Stephen in Jerusalem. He had caused such chaos in that city that believers scattered into the, the surrounding cities and countries. And then on top of that, he got letters from the religious leaders so he could go to Damascus and arrest any believers he found there so he could bring them back to Jerusalem and either have them killed or put in jail. That's what his old life was, and now in his new life, what's he doing? He's sharing the gospel. He's defending Jesus. He's telling people about who Jesus is, the Son of God. It's something that's very interesting about Saul's transformation. Things that changed, things that didn't change. Things that changed are 
He stopped persecuting Christians, and he started making Christians through a ministry of preaching the gospel. Things that didn't change. Saul is, in my opinion, one of the most passionate people in the New Testament. Uh, That didn't change, right? Saul was passionate about persecuting Christians. Saul gets saved. What's he passionate about now? Proclaiming the gospel. Notice Saul is still a leader. You know, when Saul came down from Jerusalem to Damascus, he had this entourage with him on that road. They're the ones that helped him to the place when he was blind. So Saul was still a leader. He was a leader. He had people who followed him. He had people who were behind his ministry. Then he gets saved. Now what is Saul? He's still a leader. Only instead of leading people away from Jesus, he's leading people toward Jesus. How is that possible? It's possible because when Jesus saves you, he transforms you into a spiritually new person. The Bible says the old has gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is... If Saul can be saved, anybody can be saved. Anybody. Even you. Even me. Saul was able to turn into an amazing warrior in the spiritual battle for Jesus because Jesus turned him into a new person. When we're saved, when we follow Jesus, Jesus renews us. He renews our spiritual relationship with God, the Bible says that we are reconciled with our God, that our once broken relationship is restored, and now we're able to walk with the God who created us. He renews our heart. We develop a love for the things that Jesus loves. We're passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. He renews our mind. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we see things more clearly. We can interpret the Word of God through the indwelling Spirit and the way He opens our eyes to see the spiritual truths within it. He renews our attitude, our values, our behaviors. He both leads us to righteousness and convicts us when we depart from it. Jesus redeems every aspect of you when you're saved. You know, God created us. God knows us perfectly, and God has a plan for our lives. Therefore, everything about us can be redeemed for God's purpose. Everything about you can be redeemed and used by God for a glorious purpose. Your special abilities your intellect, your passion, your leadership, your heart. All of those things were designed by God 
They were put in you by the one who put you together in your mother's womb. And God knows what you have, and God knows how those things should be used for him and for his purpose and for his glory. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, today's the day for you. Today is your day of salvation to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and begin the process of renewal, of restoration, of living for God's purpose. If you are a believer in this room today, God desires to use you in magnificent ways. God desires for you to feel a joy that surpasses all things that this world has to offer. God desires to put you on a track to be used for His kingdom and for His glory. To fulfill a purpose designed for your life before the foundations of the world were ever laid. The great news is that this purpose that God designed for us to achieve is not something that we do on our own. In fact, the Bible says in this next text that Jesus strengthens us and gives us this new purpose. Jesus both strengthens us and gives us this new purpose. Look at verse 22. As Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. It's interesting, Saul, at this time, he's already a master Jewish theologian. In fact, he's studying under a man named Gamaliel. That's in Acts 22.3 where he talks about um, one of his testimonies about how he came to faith in Jesus. He said, I studied under him. Gamaliel, according to secular literature, was one of the most well-respected Jewish theologians of that day. That's who Saul studied under. So Saul knew his Old Testament. But up to this point, in rejecting Jesus, he didn't understand what the Word had to say about the Messiah. Saul, now newly saved, restored to right relationship with God, now walking by faith in Jesus, now stands in front of his people, the Jews, of the leaders in Damascus, and proclaims Jesus is Lord and Savior. But he's not doing this on his own. Sometimes our problem is we read about people like Saul and we think, well, that can't be me. I'm not a master Jewish theologian. I'm not ready to stand in front of the crowds of Key West and proclaim Jesus is Lord and answer every question they have. And you're right, you can't do that on your own. I'm sorry to tell you that. But what I can tell you is that everything that Jesus purposed for you to do, he will enable you to do through his strength. We see in the text here that Saul kept increasing in his strength. The original language there used in that text indicates that the strength of Saul's message did not increase because of something that welled up from inside of him like he was some amazing orator. The strength spoken about here in this text, text is spiritual strength. Strength that comes out of someone's mouth in a message that's empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Saul grew in his ability to proclaim the gospel because the Spirit of God inside of him went out from him and impacted the hearts of the people who heard the message. Because of that, Saul confounded the Jewish leaders, it says there. 
They couldn't respond to what he had to say. It says in that text that Saul proved that Jesus is the Messiah. He didn't just... He didn't just make the claim that he was the Messiah. In the text there, that word used says proved. Meaning once he said that, once he proclaimed his message, no one could stand against it. No one could make an argument against what Saul was saying through the power of Jesus, his Savior. His argument had won the day. This record of the great things that Saul did could characterize your life too. Do you know that? The things that are written about Saul and the other great people in our New Testament could also be written about you, church. They could be descriptions of your life. Jesus is our source of strength. Do you believe that? When we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, all the things that he did inside of Saul, he does inside of you. You get the same Holy Spirit. You're reconciled in the same way to the God who created you. You're given unique spiritual gifts just like Saul was. You're given a purpose. Actually, you were given a purpose. That purpose is restored the same way that Saul was. We are called not just to be saved, but to be saved and to serve our God. He doesn't just do those things in the life of Saul, Peter, the apostles, Stephen, the early church. He desires to do those magnificent things in your life. And the promise from him is that when he calls us to do these glorious things, he's going to equip us and enable to do those things. Inversely, we can't do anything for God unless He empowers us to do them. Let me give you a couple verses that describe this for us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Stop trying to walk through life under your own strength and according to your own authority. Instead, church, there's something better for us. There's something so much better. There's an infinite amount of power available to you through the ministry of Holy Spirit inside of you. Philippians 4.13 says, I am able to do all things through him who gives me strength. I am able to do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, in that text in Philippians chapter 4, Paul, who's Saul here, is writing to a Philippian church who's, who's going through a difficult time, and the, the kind of the theme of that Bible book is joy. Having joy in Christ following Jesus and receiving the joy that comes from a life dedicated to Christ. And then he's telling them in that chapter that there's a calling on your life and it's not going to be easy and, and God really is, he's, he's calling you to, to, to be set apart and, and to live in a way that the world won't understand. 
And then he's going to say, in that, in that life that's dedicated to God, what accompanies that is joy. And then our answer to the things that the Bible says, the way the Bible wants us to live, oftentimes is, you know, I just can't do that, okay? This is unrealistic. I can't, I can't do that. You know what, what Paul's answer to that is? You're right, you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. But you can do it through Christ. All the strength you need to fulfill God's calling on your life and His purpose is Christ. Jesus gives us a new purpose. At the same time, Jesus provides a way for us to accomplish that purpose. Well, what is your purpose? I mean, all of us have a general calling from God in our life, a a calling to, to first repent of sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then, and then there's a calling for us as believers to follow Jesus. That's, that means living in accordance with God's word, fulfilling those commands upon our life, loving Jesus, loving others, fulfilling the Great Commission. Those are our purposes. Now wrapped up inside of that are unique, specific purposes in our life, callings from God for us to achieve. Some examples of that. Maybe Right now in this moment, maybe the Holy Spirit's calling you to take steps to uh, restore a broken marriage. Maybe you have a broken relationship with a friend or a family member and and you feel, you know, like God really wants me to take a step to, to ask for forgiveness or to forgive someone of a wrong that they've done against me. And your answer to that is, I'm just not going to do that. Anybody ever been there before? God makes the impossible request through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I want you to go and I want you to make things right with that person. In your heart, you're like, I hate that idea. That person will never forgive me or I'll never forgive them. God, do you know what they did to me? We answer that way because we're trying to fulfill God's calling upon our life in our own strength and power instead of trusting in God. What God calls you to complete, He will fulfill through his power and authority to help you do it. Maybe God's called you to take a step in ministry. To step forward, be a part of this church, or by step of faith, be baptized, or, or to lead something in this church. And our answer is like the same as the relationship answer, right? I can't do that, right? I can't. I'm not equipped to do that, God. And then it's funny, because God's like, I, I made you. Right? Like, I know what's inside of you. I gave you everything you have. And by the way, I've given you everything you need to do what I asked you to do. So that answer really doesn't fly with the Lord. Maybe he's calling you to take this step of faith. And for the first time, maybe to give to a ministry, to give to this church financially. Let me just tell you something. We have uh, an amazing fall planned at this church. We have some amazing things that we want to do at Fifth Street Baptist Church this fall and then, uh, and then after the fall. So we're seeing fall as kind of our, our reopening, restarting of all kinds of ministries. We're, we're hopefully going to restart our nursery if we can get enough workers. we got some new Bible study classes started. We've got a leadership development pipeline that we're looking to start in the next few months. God is, is, is laying it on our hearts as a church to, to reactivate and to be used by Him to do some mighty things. We're going to need some of you guys 
for the first time that maybe haven't given financially yet, we're going to need you to take that step of faith and start giving. Because those things that we want to do, uh, we need to have some funds for that to happen. And so I want to ask you right now, just in the midst of this, if you just pray about that. I want to praise God for you, you guys that give faithfully, regularly. Thank you guys. We're able to serve and, and give God glory because you responded to that call in your life. And then I want to ask the other group that maybe you're not giving yet, or maybe God's called you to give a little bit more, just to, just to be cognizant of that. And watch how God will bless you as you give. Those of you that maybe aren't serving yet, be cognizant that maybe God's called you to serve. We're not going to stand around here. We're not just going to go through life and, and just do things the way we've always done them just because it feels comfortable. We're going to step out of our comfort zone. We're going to do everything we can to fulfill the great commission in this church. We need everybody in this room. We need everybody in this church to step forward and in one way or another fulfill this great commission. And guess what? When God leads you out to take that step of faith, he's going to give you the ability to do it, the strength to do it, the faith to do it, the resources to do it. Just imagine, let's just stop and just imagine this just for one minute. Just imagine how your life would change if you stopped doing the things that you can achieve on your own and started doing things that only God could achieve through you, what would your life look like? What would this church look like? If we stopped just doing things that we know we could accomplish and started doing things that we know we couldn't accomplish on our own but could accomplish if God fulfilled it. When I think about doing that, it makes me nervous. How about you? Are you right now, like, actually saying, like, oh, please, Lord, don't ask me to serve in the nursery. Please. Like, la, 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 I can't hear you. Well, he doesn't talk to you that way, so that won't work. Or maybe right now, even like, I know that God wants me to take a step of faith and give financially, but I'm, I'm just scared about that. I'm nervous, too. I'm nervous about things that God's called me to do and take a step of faith as, as the pastor of the church. But I think if we all could commit to doing this together, we could do it. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. The same way that Saul did it. The same way that the New Testament church did it. The same way that believers have done it in generations since Jesus came and died and rose again. Walking by faith, trusting in the strength of the Lord. Why can we trust in Jesus to do this in our lives? Because Jesus finishes what he starts. Jesus finishes what he starts. Look at verse 23. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening on the wall. So what is common uh, at this time for the religious leaders is, when they would confront Jesus' disciples in the public square, they would lose that fight because no one can stand in the way of God. And then their next step is, well, we're not going to win this public debate because they're just too smart for us. They're just 
their answers are too good for us. They're winning the, the public, our people, over to faith in Jesus. We can't withstand this onslaught. And I think the reason is, uh, you know, the Bible says the gates of hell will not stand against the gospel, right? That's my own iteration, right? What that means is when we go out and, and declare the gospel and share the gospel and proclaim Jesus as King and Lord, you know what's going to happen? People are going to be saved. And that's going to happen all the way up until Jesus comes back. That's the promise. And so this is happening here in Damascus. Saul's sharing the gospel. The leaders are like, we can't stand against this gospel. And so their answer is, we'll just kill him. We'll just do what they did to Jesus in Jerusalem, right? We can't withstand this, so we're just going to kill him. And so they're, they're waiting by the gate, and uh, the believers in Damascus don't let him go to the gate, and instead they lower him down the basket. So, so Saul sends, spends time with the leaders in Damascus, and later he would suffer much at the hands of his own people, the Israelites, of the Gentiles, of kings. And he would fulfill what God said about him in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Paul, Saul, later Paul, literally would run from his life in almost every city where he would go declare the gospel. You know that? It really wasn't until he was arrested and under the protection of the Roman authorities that he stopped running. So it's funny, he was arrested for his faith, but that was like the safest he ever was in his ministry. And ultimately, we believe he was murdered for sharing the gospel by Rome. So what do you need to know about that? What do we see in just that little tidbit of, of text? What we see is Jesus finishes what he starts. Jesus will fulfill his purpose in your life, and he will give you the strength to do what he's called you to do. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Jesus started in you at conversion. Do y'all remember the day you were saved? Anybody remember that day? Wasn't it amazing? On that day, Jesus began a work in you. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He reconciled you to God, and then he began, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, a work inside of you. The work is making you more like Jesus and preparing you for eternity with him. Now, the promise is that the work he started that day, he's going to keep doing it, either until you die or Jesus comes back, one of the two. And so when we go through rough times, anybody get to whining during your rough times? I am a chief whiner. I'll tell you what, you can ask Darlene, man, I get it. Just one bad thing happens, one bump in the road, and I'm like Eeyore. I'm just rolling around, complaining. Life is so terrible. I'm forsaken by God. Nobody loves me in this church. Why am I even here, okay? All that happens in a few moments, right? Anybody? You can raise your hand. Christine just nods, but she doesn't. I'm going to let everybody know you nodded. We all go through that, right? And maybe you're going through that now, and maybe you need to hear this. You're not forsaken by God. He started a good work in you. And he's going to keep working in you in the really good times and the not so good times. He's working. Even in those times when we've decided not to do what he's called us to do. You know what he said? I'm not forsaken you. He's not left you. You're sealed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and you are a part of God's family. Even when you don't want to be. 
you are. And so as you go and submit your life to him, as you fulfill that purpose in your life, as you take what feels like that huge step of faith that I pray he's calling you to take right now, know that that God who began the work in you, the one that called you to take that step of faith, and then that next step of faith, and then that next step of faith, that same God has been with you and will continue to be with you all the way until the end. And on your darkest day, he's with you. And he's still working. And when you make mistakes, he's still working. And when you're not happy, he's still working. Jesus did this in the life of Saul. Now he's going to do it in your life in two ways. The first way, as you go out, as you take that enormous step of faith and tell people about Jesus, which isn't always easy, know that God works through the proclamation of the gospel. So, there were people that planted seeds in Saul's heart before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul stood by and watched them murder Stephen. They, he watched Stephen proclaim the gospel. He watched Stephen with his dying breath proclaim Jesus as Lord. Stephen planted a seed in Saul's heart that eventually came to fruition later on the road to Damascus. You may be called by God to tell people about Jesus. You may not see a response from that, but we never know as we, sh- as we scatter gospel seed out of our bag here, we never know what that seed's going to do and when it's going to take root in the heart of someone who hears it. I can tell you, I wasn't saved till 20. I had faithful, dedicated believers tell me about Jesus almost my whole life, and I wasn't saved till I was 20. I'm so thankful for those little seeds. I still remember a VBS that I attended at my aunt's church when I was in like third grade. I wasn't saved till I was 20, but I still remember a third grade vacation Bible school. And I remember the gospel presentation. It was a Western theme. I remember the cowboy telling me about what Jesus did for me. I remember it like it was yesterday. That was a gospel seed planted in my heart that came to fruition when I was 20. I'm sure you guys remember people doing that in your life. So as we take that step of faith, remember what God calls us to do might be a planted seed, but we might not see the fruit from that seed until later. And then second, if Jesus calls you to do something, he will sustain you until the job is done. If Jesus calls you to do something, he will sustain you until the job is done. Is anything impossible for God? Let me try again. Is anything impossible for God? Nothing's impossible for God. Nothing. That means whatever God has called you to do right now, whatever you feel, the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart right now. You can't can't walk away from it. You can't tell God that he can't do it through you. Why? Because nothing's impossible for God. If God wants it to happen, if he's called you to do it, you're going to have success in doing that thing that God's called you to do. Because nothing is impossible for God. Jesus intended for Saul to stay alive in Damascus. He created him to leave Damascus. Paul has a list in Corinthians about all the times when he should have died and he didn't. 
Paul stayed alive as long as God desired for him to stay, stay alive. Paul fulfilled the calling upon his life that God called him to achieve. God has a purpose for you and for your life, and you will achieve it because God will empower you to do that. Now, we don't always understand every part of Jesus' plan for our lives and ministries. But we know enough to take the next step of faith. We know enough to do the next right thing in accordance with his word and the calling and the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? We don't have the big plan. Some of you, God blesses you, and sometimes you get like this big plan. It's real long, maybe multiple years, and you're like, God, God laid this in front of me. This is what I'm going to do, right? I'm not one of them. I think it's because I lack the ability to follow through that way. God usually gives me like just the next step. Anybody just get next step? Some of y'all are big vision and God gives you the big vision. That's awesome. God bless you that, you that God gave that to you. I usually just get like the next step. So God will put something on my heart and I'll know that he wants this accomplished and I'll be like, I don't know how to do that. I can't do it. And then, and then I'll feel the Holy Spirit leading me just to take that step, which I know I know how to do, right? This step. Let me give you an example. So God, uh, in the past, has led me to engage in gospel conversations with a person. This is our person standing right here. And I'm way over here, and that person's very far from God, maybe even antagonistic toward Jesus. And I'll feel the Holy Spirit leading me to want to share the gospel with them. And my answer to God is, God, I can't do that. They'll never, ever follow Jesus. I guarantee it. Anybody ever said that before? Oh, it's so foolish that we do that, right? Telling God who will be saved and who won't be saved. And so I'll have all kinds of excuses. And then I'll feel what God's telling me is, okay, the next step is, you know, send that person a text and see how they're doing. Well, I can do that, right? You can do that, right? Can you, anybody? You do that? You text? Okay, just making sure. I didn't lose you with the illustration. And then we text and we're talking and maybe the next step that God calls me, you know, take that person out to coffee. Well, I can't say no to that because I could take somebody out to coffee, right? Can, can you guys do that and take people out to coffee? Okay, so I take the next step and then we're having coffee. And then at coffee, I see there's some open doors. How's your life going? Well, it's not going great. Oh, you know, well, you know, can I pray for you about that? Maybe they say yes, maybe they say no, but I've taken the next step right here. And then before I know it, I'm right where God wants me to be, sharing the gospel. Telling him about Jesus and what he's done in my life. I think most of the time that's how obedience with God works. Just taking the next step by faith that he's put in front of us. We're worried about the like 45 steps. And God's like, yo, why don't you just focus on just doing one thing right? Just one. Just do that. And, and, and by the way, he's going to empower us and help us to do that. And then when it's time for the next one, then he'll have us ready for that one. And then before we know it, we're following Jesus right into that purpose that God designed us to achieve. So I'm going to close now. And we're going to have this time of invitation. So we're going to invite our team up. And if you're visiting here or, you know, unfamiliar with the way we have worship, in a minute I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. And you're going to have an opportunity to... Make a decision. It's a moment of decision for you. If the Holy Spirit's led you to maybe take that first step and follow Jesus, you, maybe you're not a follower of his yet and you want to be. You're like, I, I heard about Jesus, I heard the gospel, I heard about what he did for me, and I want to follow him. 
in a minute, we're all going to stand. We're going to sing. And if that's you, I want you to take that first step of faith and just come forward right here. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you in front of anybody. I just want to pray with you and show you the way to Jesus today. Or maybe you're a believer and it's time for you to take a step forward and, and follow through with believer's baptism or be a part of our church or, or lead here, be a part of some kind of ministry of this church. Or maybe you just want to come forward and pray. Something happened in this service and you want to be uh, go to the, lay, lay that in front of the Lord at his altar. You can do that too. Whatever it is that God has called you to do today, do not let this moment pass. I want to invite everybody to stand now, please. And pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given us a new purpose. You've restored us into a right relationship with yourself through Jesus. And now all of us have a purpose, a calling from you. And so I pray over every person in this room. I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you won't let us just stay in that pew. If there's a decision to made in this moment, Lord, help us to make it. Help us to take that first step of faith to come to you as Lord and Savior for the first time, to step forward and to be baptized, to step forward and to join this church. Help us to take the step of faith. This is our moment of decision, Lord. I'm so thankful that we have it. I'm thankful for the blessing of the conviction of your Holy Spirit upon whomever is fallen upon here in this place today. Help them to take that step of faith and to commit their life to that purpose, whatever it is you've called them to do. Help not this moment to pass without us taking that step, fulfilling that purpose, trusting in you as a God who finishes what he starts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.